0: For me, that's that's something that if people can can have something that's you know, think about your life as a whole. You're kind of talking about this in terms of you know your life as a story. What are you going to leave behind? Um, and if you, and, and and the things that I, I I think you'll get much more motivation from are things for other people. One of the things that I like to think about is is work expands to fill the time available, right? So, there's an infinite amount of work. If you're a creative, intelligent person and you've got 10 minutes, you're going to think of something to fit into that bit of time. What I'd be thinking about is high value, low effort activity, right? You've heard of the 80 20 principle. Um, Looking at the things that you're doing every day and figuring out which ones are high value and which ones are low effort. I absolutely now go out for long walks a lot of the time, come up with my best ideas stick on an audio book or a podcast and I go out there and I've got a problem that's going through my brain or or an opportunity that I want to take advantage of. Bing! The idea comes almost exclusively when I'm out for a walk or going for a swim Uh, and those ideas are actually where the high value is. Work expands to fill the time available to it and very often Good enough. We don't see that you don't use this phrase, good enough is good enough, right? We keep on going past good enough. Um, in project management, we talk about the, the iron triangle uh, and the way it's, it's kind of scope, cost, and time, right? You can have it good,
1: you can have it quick, you can have it cheap. Pick two. I'm Anthony Walsh. This is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the founder series, where we get inside the heads of those who drive this planet forward. You can quote them, you can disagree with them, you can glorify or vilify them. The only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things, they push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. It's episode 631 of the Roadman Cyclone Podcast, it's another Founder Series episode. Today I sit down and chat with James Loutet. Before I jump into today's show, I'm fascinated with the thread that links top performers, those who succeed from those who don't. The single biggest indicator as to whether a roadman coaching client hits their goals or not, it's whether they use a parameter. As a coach, it gives me access to a world of data. Coaching without a parameter, it's like going out sailing without a compass. The brand I've used for a decade and the one I recommend to clients every day of the week is Stages. And I'm super happy to now have Stages as a show sponsor. It's water resistant, plus or minus 1.5% accuracy, 200 hours battery life off a single coin cell battery and handmade in Boulder, Colorado. I'm trusting Stages. I have for over a decade and the best in the world have trusted it, including five Tour de France victories and counting. If you head over to stagescycling.com and use code ROADMAN at checkout, that's going to get you 20% off full price parameters and factory install service. That's stagescycling.com and use the code ROADMAN at checkout. Roadman, welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast Founder Series. I hope everybody is having an amazing Christmas period. You're getting some extra miles in, as Joe Friel would call it, the super compensation over the Christmas period. Furthermore, I do hope you have taken note of my alcohol and cycling podcast just before Christmas and the pearls and the pitfalls maybe that you should try extra hard to avoid if you want to maximize that return on your training investment time. Today, I chat with James Loutis. James is a former CIO, he's an author, he's a consultant and he is uniquely and ideally placed as somebody who can give us a valuable insight into what makes corporate run so smoothly. I was fascinated by this when Sarah came from working in Johnson & Johnson and I began to chat with her and peel back the layers. They had processes and systems which were so well-defined. They knew what their outcome was and success was the only option. Failure was not an option. So I've been obsessed with digging into exactly what makes those systems they've created bulletproof and how they created them and trying to use those very systems on my own life, in my sporting life, and in my personal life. James today helps me lift the lid on that sort of corporate secrecy and show Shows us exactly how you can take those systems that are propelling billion-dollar companies and use them in your own personal life. Let me welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, James Lautet. James, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Anthony, great to meet you. Um, thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. We have a mutual friend who I know has used you in a professional capacity, and he just sent me kind of a, a glowing review saying, here's a guy that's going to be so valuable to your audience. So with that sort of pre-frame, we'll have to try and not disappoint with this conversation.
0: Goodness me, set the bar nice and high. That's good.
1: I think, you know, although your background is corporate and your message is largely corporate, uh, the skills that you use every day in mentoring clients, building relationships, and all the internal workings in corporate. I think they're so valuable to my listener and the listener of the podcast. So I want to dive in and maybe set the the overall what I'd like to achieve out of this podcast for the listeners. I think people are struggling, myself included, to manage everything. We're struggling to fit everything in and include what's important and exclude what's not important. And we're finding ourselves really on this, treadmill of all day our Google Calendar is packed from the moment we wake up for our people getting kids ready for school, getting out the door to the first meetings, and then they're trying to squeeze training in around that and still have time left over for quality relationships or other things they value in their life. So I'm going to start with quite a broad overarching question. How do we go about fixing this problem? It just seems like our schedules are overpacked for the, it's like we need longer days.
0: Well, I think that's, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think. Almost everybody uh, in the corporate world is feeling that, that pinch and that, and that pain. One of the things that I like to think about is, is work expands to fill the time available, right? Um, so there's an infinite amount of work. If you're a creative, intelligent person and you've got 10 minutes, you're going to think of something to fit into that bit of time uh, and do something with it. Um, so like what I, what I found is what you need to do is, is make your decisions really clearly about where you're spending your time. So I actually sit down at the beginning of the week or actually for, for a few weeks out ahead in front of me and I decide, you know, where am I going to fit in a tennis lesson? What am I going to do to make sure that, um, for example, I'm, I'm a scout leader. I'm, I'm involved in the local scout group um, and I've always, for, throughout my whole career, when I've had big jobs um, or, or from all the way from when I was starting, I've always made sure I left the office at five o'clock on a Wednesday because that's the time I needed to get away and be a scout leader. And once I was upfront about that with everybody and quite clear about it and maybe making a joke about it, dib, dib, whatever, as I was walking out of the office, everybody just accepted it. Uh, and it and it fitted in. So what I'd say to your, to your listeners is fit those blocks into your diary, right? If you're going to do something, if you want to go out and do some training uh, and you want to do that at lunchtime, then put that block into your diary, block it out, say I'm doing, uh, I'm doing that activity then, but do it at least a week. Two weeks, three weeks, five weeks out. Right, do it a long time in the future, and then the skill is to hold to that and not fill that time. But just treat it like any other meeting. I'm sorry, I'm busy at that time. I won't be able to to meet you. Um, you know, people have other meetings in their diary. They're happy to move things around and um, for that. So, so you've got to hold on to it. You've got
1: to make it work for you. I think that's a brilliant starting point. Uh, Seneca has similar wisdom to that, where. He sort of says, I don't know what your future looks like, but if you show me your habits, I'll show you your future. Yeah. And often I'll say to somebody, okay, well, pull open your calendar. Let me see your Google diary. And I'll look through and they'll say to me, these four or five areas are important in my life. You know, time with family is important. Working on self-development is important. Maybe it's learning language. Spirituality is important. Physical exercise is important. But I look at their calendar and it's just work. There's none yeah. of that stuff that they claim is important scattered across their diary. Yeah. Yeah. It's mad, isn't it?
0: I think we're going to, I think we're going to get on with the, the philosophy references are going to, are going to land well with me. I studied philosophy. So, um, I, I like, I've got the, uh, <laughs> Aristotle, you know, excellence is not an act, but a habit thought kind of going through like that, that point that whatever you, you are, what you repeatedly do. Um, you know, and that's what, that's what gets you. So, and the best way to, repeatedly do something is to stick it in the diary and hold on to it.
1: Uh, How important is saying no when you're talking about forming your diary like that? Because I sent a message recently to an author I love. I've just I've read his books for so many years and uh, he's written Five A.M. Club. His recent one is uh, Everyday Hero Manifesto. His name's Robin Sharma. Uh, I've always loved his books. So it's kind of a mix of you know self help, productivity, and a little bit of stoicism thrown in. But I sent him a message to come on the podcast, and he basically told me no. But he told me it in such a cool, nice way that I'm like, oh, this guy's a doer. He sent me a message and said, Anthony really flatters. Podcast looks like it's brilliant. But my cup is as full as I'd like it at the moment. It was such a simple statement, but such a brilliant statement, because he didn't say, my cup is overflowing. He didn't apologize for not taking on more than he wanted. It was such a simple, my cup is as full as I'd like it. Yeah. Where I feel like a lot of people don't stop when their cup is as full as they'd like it. They feel they over-allocate, they say yes to too many things to the point that their Google Calendar is bursting. And then this gets into an area which we'll talk about loads, I'm sure, burnout, stress, and balancing yeah. all that
0: so we might come on to that because i've actually been in that in that position i ended up um up very unwell a few years ago from not saying no but but actually rather than no because no you're right no is is an important point what i'd be thinking about is high value low effort activity right you've heard of the 80 20 principle um looking at the things that you're doing every day and figuring out which one's are high value and which ones are low effort and if and 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 go down your list of tasks or things that you're working on or projects and look at them and say okay that's a high value thing that's going to give me benefit whether that's for my career for my family for my you know social activities whatever it is high value but you're also looking at the effort that each thing takes and what you do is you, if you can use this and this is a tip from project management if you can use this to sort of prioritize the most important things and then you you go down that list and at some stage you see that you're doing some low-value, high-effort things, and that's a problem, right? And then that's what you do is in, in the agile kind of project management community, we call it trimming the tail. So you draw your line and you say, oh, I'm going to focus on this, this, and this, and you use prioritization really effectively to just draw the line and say, okay, and that thing is, low, is high-effort, low-value, let's stop doing it, right? Bang, put a, put a line into it. I love that. But, but I think about it in terms of your projects, your activities, at a, at a more of a macro level. Um, as well as those individual little little things that kind of come into your diary.
1: Let me make this really tangible for a listener. So I'll tell you how I'm setting up my weekly calendar and then you can tell me how I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind to move to an entirely new system. So I chatted to uh, a doctor on the podcast a while ago, Dr. Martini was his name. And it was probably just after that conversation, that was the catalyst anyway for me changing up how I do things. So I looked at... My values, like the pillars of what's important to me. So I arrived at health, family, financial, spirituality, and productivity. So, you know, some of those things might mean different things to people. One person's sense of spirituality might be, you know, for me, it's just meditating and stuff. I'm not a massively religious person. But I looked at those five areas and then I tried to weight those areas and I said, okay. Well, financial is not like 10 times more important to me than spirituality. So I'm not going to allocate 10 times more time to that. So I went for a fairly even allocation of time across those five areas. So I open my Google calendar now and I will say I've got six productive hours in a day. Any more than that, I feel like I'm starting to, you know, just overflow the cup, steal Robin Sharma's analogy. So I'll look at six hours and I will try and allocate some of those five things into six hours. Obviously, I don't need to meditate for an hour. Work, There's not much work you can get done in 20 minutes when there's quite a lot of meditation you can get done in 20 minutes. But I'll try and do an even distribution of those five things across the work week yeah. or across my productive week, we'll call it. And at the end of the week, I'll do what I call the general's tent, where i going kind gonna. Of, The general, when he's looking at a battle, he's not too consumed with the individual fights within it. He's more looking at the strategy of how everything worked out. And I'll look the following week and I'll try and iterate and improve on it and say, okay, I spent a bit too much time doing this and not enough time doing that. And I'll have this iterative process from week to week. That's kind of where I'm at at the moment. So if I can improve on that or if you have a different theory for how to set up the week, I'd love to hear it.
0: So I'd say you're already in the top 1% <laughs> just by the fact you're, you're <laughs> actively managing your diary uh, and thinking about those priorities, right? So I, I, the vast majority of people are very passive when it comes to their diaries. They, they let things go in and, and it, it kind of, you know, it's other people who are in control. It's other people's priorities. It's other people's kind of needs and, and desires that are, that are driving your diary. So you're already in a in a really good place, I'd say, and and I think that the, the thing is balance changes over the course of your life. Like what you what's important to you today might not be important to you in a year's time, or or might have been different than something something you know a couple of years ago, and that's certainly true of me. So um, I think the, the 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 one thing that might might kind of add to what you're doing is you've kind of got it as an even balance. I think if you overlaid that kind of value and effort piece, if you, rather than trying to do equal amounts of time. If you try and think about equal amounts of value, right? So if you're kind of going down, uh, you've got you know maybe some life goals. You need to be a certain speed of uh, uh, you know uh, for a I don't know a, t- a 10k, um, or you need you know you you want to um, you know teach your your kids to read or whatever those things are. One of my things is I I love to teach. I, I want to teach my kids to read, but 10 minutes is all that they can that they can sit with me for um, before it starts to get to get too much. So that 10 minutes a day is probably the most important. Ten minutes, eight o'clock till ten past eight in the morning, bang. That's that's critical to my day, and, and that's a success if I get that done. It's not it's not a huge amount of time, but it's highly valuable. So I think that's the one kind of thing that I might you might overlay onto what you're doing, um, and just say actually should I ramp up a little bit more time on this thing? There's a big opportunity here in this space at the moment, and 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 I actually I think there's there's a lot of value that I can take advantage of here, and maybe there's some low effort, hugely high value things that that you can sprinkle in through the week that might balance up so that you, at the end of it, if if your goal is to have an equal amount of value across those five headings, you still achieve that uh, even if you're given different amounts of time.
1: And how would you prioritize what's important to you do? Do you just mentally take note of it or do you use like a color coding system or a, a numerical scale to prioritize? Me personally, it's all about, it's kind of gut feel.
0: But I think what's, uh, so I, I kind of um, look at it in a, in a, from a personal perspective. What might be useful though is, is kind of how to prioritize things in work. Um, and I've got some really nice techniques that I use um, with, um, uh, with kind of teams to, to do that and figure out how you prioritize actually the work that's being done. Um, so um, for example, you can try and put a monetary value on projects, if you're doing things or tasks, if you're doing things, you can, you can actually, I've, I've got a kind of little training course that I do on how to articulate the business value of a change or, or of a piece of work, um, where I go into kind of putting a monetary value on it, like multiplying the risk by the by the impact and, and and actually kind of figuring things out that way. But equally, you can get people together, you can get them to vote, you can use a thing, um, you can use those little sticky dots to to kind of vote on what people what other people see as high priorities. And it's amazing what you find out when you get a team of people together that people realize are low value or, or things that they shouldn't be doing, and, that, and yet you've been giving them far too much um, credence or, or effort uh, in the team. And you can maybe just get rid of some of those things and create create space in your diary or uh, or in your in your team that way.
1: It's really smart and it's it's somewhat intuitive, but when you label it and you compartmentalize it like that it's like oh i I could definitely be doing this in more areas of my life just one example springs to mind as you're talking i bought a cafe a few years ago never buy a cafe if anyone's listening (laughs) sounds like a lot of work
0: sounds like a lot of work
1: (laughs) oh man i I never thought i'd be making flat whites uh (laughs) queue out the door people screaming at me i don't even know how to make coffee but i looked at the menu really early and you're looking at it saying, okay you're trying to question, well, why are we serving some of these things? So one of the things was like a, this turkey breakfast, like a fillet of turkey for breakfast. I'm like, okay, it's our most expensive item. It's the most time-consuming item to create or prepare for the chef. It's the highest level of waste off it. And it's our lowest margin item. So we make those decisions like that intuitively in order in a business capacity sometimes, but don't always bring that same lens back to how we spend their time around, you know, productivity, family, friendship.
0: Yeah, that's it. And, and actually, that's that's a really interesting example. Like, if you if you're running that cafe, right? Wouldn't it be great? You've got probably five people in the in the team. Wouldn't it be great to get together in a little workshop with a few post-it notes, right? Just for an hour, um, and say, right, well, it goes. We're going to look at the menu. Okay, we're going to look at each thing. We're going to estimate how much effort each thing takes to to make, and we're going to look at the price of each thing and how much they sell, right? And we're going to work out. Effort and value for each of these things. We're going to get rid of two every week, or, or two every uh, every month, right? But we're going to add in something else. And all and, and what you're doing then is you're kind of optimizing your menu for things that your customers want and that you can make easily and that you can make make good margins and and profits on. I think too often people make a decision or they 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 get themselves into a we we decide this is our menu. We're going to stick to this. Um, I'm a huge advocate of what's called in the software development world, agile, agile delivery. And what that is, is you kind of work on the next thing that's, that's important for the next couple of weeks. And then, and then you trust yourself to make some more decisions again in two weeks time to look at that, what was working, what's not working and change things um, and then go again. And I think that the kind of constant re-evaluation of what's valuable to you and, and kind of, you know, where the, where the pain points are, um, again, there's a bit of a habit rather than as a one-off activity, that's where you you really start to hone and improve and get to a a level of performance that that is much better.
1: So just to contextualize that agile reference for people listening. So we were talking off air, I had a period in one of my ill fated entrepreneurial ventures where I was building out an app for cycling coaching. So at the time, You sit down and you build out and you say, okay, we have this idea for an app. The central premise is it's a cycling coaching app. Then we talk about all the integrations we want to do. We talk about what V2 looks like, V3 looks like, V22 looks like, all the way down. The agile theory is more, let's get a product to market that's rough and ready and then trust our future selves to know what the next best decision is. Is that an accurate summation?
0: Yeah, so like when you do what's called a waterfall project, you try and figure out all of the things that you want to do upfront, right? You write them all down as requirements, and then you estimate them all, and then you draw this big design of what they're all going to be, and then you build them all together, and then you test them all, and then you put them live or you put them in front of a customer, and you find out that actually, you know, most of it doesn't work, isn't what isn't what the customer wanted, or isn't what you need. So with agile, what you do is you, you look for what's called a minimum viable product, and that can be like a prototype or it can be um, something that you do put in front of the customer. But the key is about feedback and making and trusting yourself to make decisions. So you do um, the little changes. And again, you're looking for high value, low effort things, um, little changes every every couple of weeks in what we call a sprint, um, and you make it a bit better. And then at some point you'll have something that you want to launch to your customers. You need to be a bit careful because you don't want to be making changes every five minutes and annoying people. So you need to, you can do that activity before releasing to customers or Netflix do it. They do, um, they do about a thousand releases uh, on a daily basis, tiny little changes that are kind of imperceptible to, to us, but they've got it set up with this, this kind of DevOps um, world where they just kind of bang through and the developers just make changes. They automate all the testing and it all just goes through in a really beautifully um, organized way. Uh, and, and it's highly effective because you end up with this great product That is very responsive to what the customer wants
1: bringing that back to our central question that we started with like how do you fit everything in it's there's a real similarity in how you're advocating designing your calendar and designing products this idea of design the calendar build out the calendar test to see if it's working put it out into the real world but then iterate on it the following week remove the parts that aren't working i spend too much time commuting can i maybe do one or two more meetings remotely and you know bring in week two as a as a, almost a v2 iteration exactly uh, you, you you keep
0: improving it and and not just improving it because imp- like you're, you're making it right for the world as it is today as opposed to the world as it was when you made the plan six months ago so that that's the point is the world changes you know we're all working from home much more than we were before that's a different balance and a different different lifestyle um you know you might have a you might have a kid uh you might um you know you might join, a, join a club start having a different priority and and if you do that then those changes can kind of come into your diary or into your plans um and you tweak it for what's important to you
1: at that moment archimedes said give me a lever long enough and i'll move the world so what's the big lever we can pull to free up a load of our time like how are we defining what that lever is for me a huge one and it seems like such a simple tweak huge one was hiring a cleaner to come for like three hours once a week removed so much yeah. stress from my relationship, gave me back so much free time for quite a nominal amount of cash. But is there a way to identify what that lever is?
0: Yeah. So I, I'll give you a, uh, a thought on, on that piece, but also a, a specific uh, tip, right? So my thought is, if you can swap time for money, that's what you've done with a cleaner, right? You've basically, you've got some money, that's okay. Can I spend some money to turn it into time for me? Um, I use a tool called Upwork, which is hugely powerful. You might have heard of Fiverr. Just to find someone, I'm building a website for the business. Uh, and I don't, I, like I kind of, I'm an IT guy. i kind of been a, been a CIO. I know how to do it, but it takes a lot of time to learn the tool and to make the changes. So I just went on to Upwork and I found this chap. Uh, he's actually over in Cyprus. And I just jump on a call with him for an hour. And the two of us do stuff together. And I pay him 25 uh, quid. Uh, And at the end of the hour, I've moved on vastly more than if I'd spent two days working on it on my own and trying to figure out all these problems. So, figuring out how you can turn money into time is a good thing. The other thing I'd say is time boxing. When you're making decisions about things, you can work expands to fill the time available to it. And very often, good enough, we don't see that, we don't use this phrase, good enough is good enough, right? We keep on going past good enough. Um, In project management, we talk about the, the, the iron triangle. Uh, And the way it's it's kind of scope, cost and time, right? You can have it good, you can have it quick, you can have it cheap. Pick two, right? If you want it to be better, (laughs) it's going to cost you more or take you longer, right? If you want it to to come quicker, it's going to be worse or it's going to cost you more, right? So you're kind of balancing these things against each other. uh, And that's a good way to think about it. Like, can I reduce the scope uh, to hit my timeframe? Or can I reduce the quality? Could we accept a lower quality. You can't accept a lower quality if you're making, you know, software for aircrafts, but you might be able to accept uh, a few bugs if you're, um, you know, if you're doing something like a website for the local scout group, <laughs> right? If you're
1: knitting parachutes, it's not a great one either.
0: Exactly, right? So there's certain things where, you know, one of those um, levers is the most important and you have to flex the other two. Um, but you'll know that for, from, from your context. And then in terms of time boxing, you know, If you've got a task that you need to do, it kind of feels like a big task, right? Give it 15 minutes, give it an hour, right? Whatever you think you can do, and then stop, like challenge yourself to finish it by the end of the hour and understand whether that's going to cause you any problems, but then stop done, right? Good enough is good enough. I've done that thing. I'm moving on. Like I've done this with uh, presentations for kind of the board or something like that. You go to, I was working for um, the CFO was my boss in, in my last role and you know you do a presentation um and you go to them and they say oh change this change that change the other and you might be, you might start that presentation um you know building it out you know a month before it's actually needed if you're kind of diligent and you go through you go into this kind of loop of like oh and then change this and then you get another review and then change that and then you get another review and then change that and it's a huge amount of work was actually if you kind of can just leave it to the last minute in some cases and just say right I'm going to make the final changes, then you'll have a, uh, a product that's just as good or an output that's just as good, but you've done it in a lot less, you've given a lot less time to it.
1: I've scratched down that idea of time boxing because I think that's particularly important for creatives. Is yes. It, the idea of the creative process, like putting out a podcast There's no end. Like when you think about stuff, there's an end to. There's an end to a sports game. There's literally a countdown clock that counts down to zero. And then there's a binary outcome. You either win or you lose at the end of it. So that leads to like a feeling of finality where you don't have the countdown clock, the binary outcome or the feeling of finality with the creative process. It's totally open-ended. I could spend 45 minutes or 45 days working on a podcast to get out and it still will never feel... Finished because it's just the the setup of the taught confines it's in. So, there's a really interesting YouTube video that's worth checking out for you and for everyone else. Uh, It's the creator of Patreon. It's up on YouTube called Work to Publish. Okay. And he talks about, you know, there was uh, one example from uh, John Lennon's sound engineer, and they recorded the Revolver album, and they realized they spent weeks recording it, and they realized there was an oversight, and the album was actually one song short. And they had the deadline the next morning. And he said, he listens back to that song on the album that they banged out in a 24-hour period. And he's like, it still sounds like a scratchy, unfinished song that was produced in the middle of the night. But you know what? That's what publishing is. It's getting stuff out inside that time box, as you call it, when it could expand. Like J.K. Rowling put five novels out in six years. How is that possible? It's just this drawing a line and saying, that's it, I'm finished. When I could sit on this for another two years. And I have to do that with the podcast every day. Some yeah. episodes, you know, I'm so proud of them. Other episodes, I'm like, you know, I, that could have been better if I had more time. But really, when you step out and you look back on it, like they could all be better if you have more time. But there's no such thing as perfection.
0: W- one person's slightly better podcast, it becomes a little bit maybe stilted or like, you know, you've done too much editing on it. Right. So, you know, you're there's a diminishing there's a good economics term there's diminishing marginal returns to effort right so your first bit of effort that you spend on something is is highly valuable right you're you're making a lot of value there as you go up it starts to the more effort you add you start to add less value right so you know at some point you know you kind of have added uh, enough value for your time
1: draw the line and and move on so we're talking about this calendar engineering and that's that's brilliant in sort of a utopian sense that I'm still in control of everything and I'm of quite a level head. But if there's a listener now and they're past that point, so they're at the point where the glass is overflown, they're at the point where burnout's becoming an issue, stress becoming an issue, panic attacks are becoming an issue, their calendar's just beyond crammed. So we're talking about this, you know, quite airy-fairy stuff. And for them, it's firefighting. They want to know, how do I get through this week without having total burnout? I can't let... You know, bills are coming in, family obligations are coming in, and I'm just struggling to cope with everything. Have you seen people in this situation? How common is it and how do we deal with that? I've been there. So in 20, oh, Brilliant. <laughs> well, not brilliant, but brilliant for this conversation. <laughs> in 2016, right, I was
0: leading out a huge program uh, at one of the banks. Um, I was the lead of um, of this kind of competency. I was, um, you know, I was the head of like the GDPR or, or, or data protection thing on the account I was working on. We had three kids under five, you know, everything was just and it, it got to too much. Um, and kind of I started getting these these headaches um, and I took one day off work and then the headache kind of went away and I kind of went in again. But by the end of the week, by the Friday, I was in this kind of really stressed, really stressed state, um, kind of overwhelmed. Um, and I, I was starting to lose a little bit of um you know, focus and, and making mistakes that I wouldn't normally make. And what I did, we had a big leadership meeting that morning on the Friday morning. And I got on the motorbike and I, I rode out to, to the hotel where we were having the meeting in. And I, it took me about half an hour. I was, I was early. I, was, I wasn't I was sleeping. I was early there. And I kind of walked around the gardens for a little while and kind of built up the the sort of, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask for help. And just before the meeting, it was an eight o'clock meeting. I went up to my boss, who was the head of the account at the time. And I, and I said, Carl, I need to, Spend the next 20 minutes talking to this group about mental health, and if you don't let me do that, I'm going to resign immediately, and I'm going to tell everybody that it's because you wouldn't let me talk about mental health. So I kind of that was quite a big kind of shotgun uh, to to kind of pull the trigger. So he kind of looked at me, he was kind of very, obviously very concerned. He said, "James, you know, do what you need to do." And I stood up in front of this room full of all the senior people on the account, and it all came out. Like I kind of said this and this, and the kids and the broken toilet seat and all of this stuff that was going through my head uh, and that was putting too much pressure on me. And at the end of it, I, I, it's a bit hazy. I can't really remember exactly what happened, but there were a couple of hugs there. I think, I, I don't know if there was some, there were definitely some tears on, on my, on my side, but then the pressure came off immediately. Like people came to me, I was taken for an, a coffee by one of their partners and like told to take some time off. James, we'll be fine without you. You know, it's, it's all right. And, and so I kind of went home and I was kind of like, all right, ugh. But then the next morning, uh, it turns out I still felt really, really weird. And then, um, I was, I started behaving very oddly and it turns out I was rushed to hospital. It turns out I had viral meningitis and I was kind of, and I'd had it for, for the full week with the headaches and, and everything. And so I kind of was in hospital for, for nine days with this kind of, you know, brain swelling or swelling of the, the, the fluid around the brain. And that was the, that was the really interesting thing for me because, um, I thought I was having. Uh, um, like a mental, a purely mental mental health breakdown caused by stress, and actually I would argue that's exactly what was happening, and there was a physical symptom alongside it, which was this kind of pressure on the brain that made me feel all these things. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in brain chemistry. But I do believe that like how we feel is related to what's going on inside the physiology of our brain.
1: So intertwined. Like I talk to physiologists all the time and it's really difficult to separate and look at anything like that, an illness in a vacuum, because it's so related to intertwined with stuff like cortisol levels, uh, suppresses immune system, makes you more susceptible to getting bugs, like, you know, like venenoiditis, like anything. Yeah. And I I was
0: hugely stressed. It was the most stressful time of my life. But then I was sitting in the hospital and, um, my brother who plays the guitar, he sent me a little YouTube video of, uh, you know, the, the bare necessities, the song from the jungle book. Yeah. Um, he, he was playing that for his kids and he sent it on for us to, to, to share with our kids. Um, and I was flying in the hospital being paid by my company because, you know, I was on sick leave. Uh, and there was, a, there's a line it the bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. And I was like, yeah, they were working away over there and I'm not doing anything. I'm kind of getting better here in the hospital. And, And it was then that I realized that all that pressure I'd put on myself, um, huge pressure, the world was going on without me. They didn't need me. It was fine. I mean, they needed me. There were things that had gone wrong because I wasn't there, but not that many. Like, you know, the the bank still continued. The relationship with the the consultancy I was working for was, was still good. You know, things carried on without me. So I'd been putting all this huge amount of pressure on myself, and when I came back to work, I sat down with um, the, the the lady who'd taken me out for a coffee. And, and we kind of talked it all through. My my wife came along because she didn't want me to get into that state uh, again. I gave her what I call a, a veto over my job. I said, right, Eunice, you have a veto. If I ever get into that state again, you tell me to leave that job. Um, and I kind of took that thing out of my hands. And I said, right, you know, that's, that's up to you as my wife to keep an eye on me had the conversation where, uh, with this amazing, uh, amazing lady cleaner, and we agreed a different role for me, which was much more what I love doing, which is teaching and training the project management stuff. And I was much more able, having kind of been through that experience, to just, like you were saying at the beginning, say no to things and figure out how to keep my cup at the right level. Uh, still busy, still you know, moving quite quickly, but not too much in it. And my career just took off. What effect did that period have on your relationship? So I think there was uh, it was tough um, for a little while. There was a, because I'd been kind of I hadn't been myself, particularly on that Saturday morning. Like there was a little bit of kind of rebuilding the trust um, that like I wasn't going to start behaving oddly again. But I think it, it definitely made us. Uh, I mean, we were very strong before, but I think it, I think it really brought us together after after kind of we got over that sort of initial like are you still James? Like, is this still, (laughs) are you still a guy I married? Um, Piece, which, you know, which took us probably two or three months because it was,
1: it was a very extreme event. Is there a temptation or can you see how people at that point begin to self-medicate? You know, we've huge epidemic of oxys, which is this sort of silent prescription no one wants to talk about all over the world, alcohol, recreational drug use. Was that a temptation to self-medicate i suppose the only medication in that context that i would would have been taking
0: would have been alcohol um i don't think i was particularly consuming a lot more uh at, the, at that time like but i'd I'd happily have a, a few glasses of wine or a few beers at the weekend um and maybe yeah it does kind of creep in if you if you are it's it's See, Wednesdays are good for me because I have beavers, so there's no drinking on Wednesdays. So it's Thursday is the the temptation day of the week, Uh, and if I can get through a Thursday without a glass of wine, then um, you know, then then I'm probably in a reasonable in a reasonable place from a balance perspective.
1: But I'm sure there's a huge temptation, and it's so difficult because a lot of those substances, alcohol included, they have hugely depressive qualities and Mm. properties built into them. So it becomes this self fulfilling circle of I can't cope, so I'm going to have a drink. Now you're getting a chemical reason to feel a bit lower. Yeah. And you head into the next week carrying that baggage and it just gets worse and worse. And I can see how the trapdoors or the walls feel like they're closing in. But what I wonder, I think you're uniquely placed to answer this, because you referenced at the start that you're uh, quite interested in philosophy and studied it. It's like, how do you reconcile that period of your life with the kind of stoic philosophy of memento mori, we will die? Like, I try to live my life like, okay, it's I'm writing a book, it's page one, I'm the hero of my story. How does the hero carry on? What, how does the hero interact? How does he treat people? How does he show up for stuff? What cool adventures does the hero go on? It feels like that period is like, you're not the hero, it feels like in that period. How can you, like what's going on in your head, the, the way you see yourself around that time?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, and it kind of comes back to what you were saying about your own goals and what you want to achieve. So I, I love the Kipling poem, If... Uh, it's it's my favourite poem and I just I love it. There's a, and there's a um, a piece in it. If you can if you can fill each unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, then yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Uh, and and that kind of idea of filling every minute with productivity or with with progress in a sort of traditional sense, I think that's quite dangerous. And I think uh, and I had that poem very clearly in my head when I was in that period and i and i again sitting in the hospital i was thinking why was i trying to fill every unforgiving minute with distance like um so i think you have to value the things that are going to give you a bit of a bit of perspective you know i i absolutely now go out for long walks a lot of the time come up with my best ideas stick on an audiobook or a podcast and i go out there and i've got a problem that's going through my brain or or an opportunity that i want to take advantage of bing the idea comes almost exclusively when i'm out for a walk or going for a swim uh, and those ideas are actually where the high value is, because all of a sudden then you can go, oh, that whole massive problem can be can be sidestepped. If I just get that one person on board, I'm going to start I'm going to go and take that co- person for a coffee and we're going to find out what what their view of this situation is and see if we can if we can understand it and, and, and solve the problem. So I think, um, you know, what your values are, and you know, they change over time and, and, and standing back and, and looking at them is you know, is, is, is useful to make sure that you're doing what's, what's going to be valuable to you or what's aligned with your goals.
1: What do you think about the idea of, so I have a lot of friends in sort of corporate positions and even chatting to founders on the new, uh, cycle and CEO series we're rolling out. I've seen a lot of people in that, hole or that pit that you described yourself as in, where the walls feel like they're closing in. Maybe not to the the exact extreme extent. And yes, they go down one road and they self-medicate, but they also build, I would say, extra layers to the wall, extra, you know, rigidity to the cell that's enclosing them by consuming material goods. They say, I'm miserably unhappy with the way my life is. I'm going to get a nicer car. I'm going to spring for that Patek watch. And, you know, sitting from the outside looking at this, it's quite easy to look at it and go, well, that's pretty tragic because that's not going to bring you... Like, if you're not happy, an item isn't going to bring you happiness. Like, Because you're buying the item to get external approval from someone else, but you can't really control how someone else sees you. You can only control your own internal happiness. And if you're not happy now, you're not going to be happy then. It's easy to see that from a distance, but... Bring me into that because I've never worked in those corporate jobs. Bring me into that mindset of how that makes sense when you're in those moments.
0: So I've I've never been that interested in that kind of stuff. My my motorbike is a tool. Um, I could have a nicer motorbike, but my tool, my my motorbike gets me to, from A to B. Uh, you know, it's ten years old. It, you know, I, I I don't. I've never really kind of bought into that that side of things. Funnily enough, listening to you talk there. I think what you choose to, to have as your goals is, is a big thing. And, 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 and one of my big changes in the last year is I've kind of decided or, or kind of decided to focus on my – I'm using the word legacy. It's a little bit grander than it needs to be. But if, if I – when I – you know, 40 years' time when it, when it all finishes, right, what have I left behind me? And I've got it into my head that what I need to leave behind me is a scout den my local scout troop. we don't have one it would be amazing to have one right so that is a big what do they call it a hag a big hairy audacious goal for the scout group but all of a sudden we've now got a focus and we've we've taken on loads more scout leaders we've got a table quiz tonight which is going to be really well attended all the local businesses have given us loads of kind of raffle prizes and all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden the focus on like getting this table quiz which is going to be a great great fun for everybody in the community uh, and it's come from that vision of being able to leave something behind that is of value um and I think for me that's that's something that if people can can have something that's you know think about your life as a whole you're kind of talking about this in terms of you know your life as a story. what are you going to leave behind um and if you, and, and and the things that I, I I think you'll get much more motivation from are things for other people. Right, Things that are going to help other people thrive, things that are going to help you know, kids get better at stuff uh, or whatever is, is good, you get so much value from that stuff um, that actually the material things, you know, the, the watches and the, the cars tend to kind of pale into, into
1: insignificance when you can you know, help someone else. What's an interesting twist on that, and it's something I'm starting to pull, that's the, really the central reason I have the podcast. It's I've set up this amazing university where I get to pick the brains of guys like you six days a week. Like for me, it's just such a fulfilling act. But something I'm starting to pick at the tread of recently is chatting to a lot of founders. And if they look at what their big moment is, they most of them quantify success as a moment. And for most of them, that's an exit. That's some sort of acquisition or sale or going public it's the big cash acceleration moments. That's what success looks like. But when you really start to dial it back and go, okay, well, is that success if, and then you start looking at what else is there important in our life? Is that success if you don't have robust mental health? You're not happy when you get there. Is that success if your wife has dumped you? Is that success if you're distanced from your kids? If you've put on weight and your health is atrophied? All of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, it's not just getting to that moment, that success. It's getting to that moment plus all the other things. So the kind of little nugget that I've been pulling at and trying and live by recently is, yeah, getting the scout in up is a really commendable goal. But how we journey through life on the way to that is really important as well. Like smiling at the girl who's making your coffee in the morning because you don't know what she's going through. And that butterfly effect yeah. It can really cast, you know, positive vibes out further afield than you. But it's just trying to interact and go softly, go quietly as we move through the world, I think it is as important as the goal of, of the scout then at the end. That's my only my musings that I'm starting to arrive at.
0: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I suppose that's the point, isn't it? Like the value that that goal of of getting a scout done has created is all of a sudden there's now 30 other families in the area who've got much more involved in scouting because i decided i was going to go and recruit them and they're into scouting now and that's all those kids and each one of those interactions each one of those kids every time we go for a hike every time someone learns a knot is is a is a huge win and that's where i get my kicks from like that those little like you know those little moments.
1: That's a conversation back home. That's like playing with your dad in the evening going, "Will you show me how to do this?" Like that's so valuable.
0: Yeah. It's it's amazing. Like we did knot boards with the the cubs a few months ago. And I was I was flabbergasted by how interested they were in like tying being able to tie the six knots that we had on the knot board and that they wanted to come back the next week and finish it off um because that was you know and all of a sudden (laughs) they're going home and they're teaching their parents how to do a reef knot or how to do a a bowling um and it's you know that that, it's just a it's just a wonderful thing uh having 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 goals that are what's the word generous you know uh, you'll you'll get a lot more of those interactions that are positive
1: to finish up and to run and kind of conclude with that idea of goal setting Uh my girlfriend, who now co hosts the podcast with me on Friday, she was working for Johnson & Johnson up to about eight, nine months ago. And then we took the decision for her to come full-time into the podcast. But what I was struck with is, you know, me coming from an academic background, her coming from a corporate background, there's some things that you guys incorporate just you do so so well like we've we spent a lot of this conversation touching on the pitfalls and negatives of corporate but there's some stuff that is just optimized beyond the nth degree in there and it's beautiful to watch and one of those areas it's goal setting where it's broken down into kpis it's broken down into you know all sorts of weird acronyms that i can only begin to understand but the result is it's you're hitting a very deliverable target and we don't do that in a lot of areas of our life we do it well in cycling but people i find in other areas they drift through and they're looking at their spirituality they're looking at their family they're looking at you know even the vision they have for themselves they'll set these really cool kpis But then a lot of them will go, well, what's my vision or my goal for my health? I don't have it. I'm going to go to the gym twice a week. Like you would never just do sales calls without like an outcome of, I want to close this many, I want to set up this many meetings. But yet people will happily go to the gym twice a week without really understanding why. How can we bring that corporate magic into our personal lives?
0: Well, first of all, I'd actually say like I've got a, like smart goals are great for companies to make sure that they've had a conversation with their employees about tangible things i actually don't think they're particularly useful um so smart is for those people who don't know smart is a goal that is specific measurable achievable realistic and time bound or something like this so i'm going to i'm going to sell this amount of um you know cars um uh within you know before the end of the month right? something like that that's kind of specific for me i think in a personal sense they can be quite limiting you tend to set them in a way that you're not gonna you, you you're going to achieve them right because you're telling your boss you're going to do these things so you're going to set them as definitely going to be able to do that whereas i think there's a there's a much better bigger goal that you can set and then and then it's all about the journey right so it's not about the goal it's about it's not about the destination it's about the journey right so enjoy so if you're if your your goal is to lose you know certain amount of weight that's great but how are you going to do it do something you enjoy like i love the cricket I, I'm quite happy on an exercise bike or the row machine da, um, down in the gym. I, I was so yesterday morning I watched England beat India. I don't know if anyone saw that um, in the semi-final of the of the World Cup, but that was a three-hour gym session um, while I was doing it, and I'm achieving my goal, but I'm also enjoying it at the same time. Um, so the activity was
1: was fun. But how do you know if the goal if you're not steering towards that goal? Like if you're off course with the Analogy use of car sales, you know, if you know if you got to get twenty this month and you've only sold one this week, you know you're not on course. So you can correct with the idea of losing weight. You know, is going to the gym and being there for three hours is that necessarily leading to a natural and probable outcome of you losing that weight?
0: Yeah, so I think I think there is. I, I'm not saying there's no value in goals. Uh, you know, I do have a goal. Uh, and actually there's a the weight loss goal, um, which I'm, you know, not far off. It's kind of a, like a, my, t- my target for this year was to stay under 90 kilos uh, and I'm at 87 and a half at the moment. So I'm doing all right on that side, <laughs> but I've also got a target for next year, which is to be under 85 kilos. So <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm getting towards the end of the year and I need to, I need to get that. But, um, but, I but I think, so I think there is value in the goal itself, but I also think that should be, uh, sorry, if you're not setting any goals at all, then yes, you're right. You know, I think, I think there's, there's some, something there. But I do think, think about the goal as a, as a mechanism for creating a great journey and a great experience as opposed to if you don't achieve the goal, you know, it's, it, you know, it's the end of everything.
1: Yeah, I think mean, that's good advice. I think that's a, a lovely place to leave it. James, I think it's been a really valuable contribution to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Anthony, really nice chatting with you. Thanks a lot.
2: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family, and social obligations, but we also want to fulfil our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about.